This is the word of our world. Happy are you who are self-sufficient. Because self-sufficiency is the end of the game here. Oh, how content are you who feel you are masters of your own destiny. Happy are you who are blissfully unaware and totally unaffected by your shortcomings. You stand there confident in who you are and what you have achieved. Good on you. And good on you, the go-getters, who see it, visualise it, dream it, make it happen. Oh, satisfied are you when you walk over anybody who gets in your way because you know this can all be yours. Happy and well-loved are you with a cellar full of 2008 Chateau Lafitte. Happy and slightly smug are you who got in early and bought up big because there is never, ever enough of this wine. It is fleshy, full throttle, flamboyant, surely an essential part of the good life. Cheers. And cheers to you for not being the first to apologise again. I mean, seriously, how many times are you supposed to apologise to? And no, it's her fault. She has to go and have a good long look at herself. And if she doesn't, we'll cut her loose. Life's too short for this kind of tricky relationship. Happy are you who are untroubled by mixed motives. Pursue pure self-interest to the end and life will be uncomplicated. Happy are you who have mastered the subtle art of passing on hurtful and personal information without being called a gossip. Oh, so happy are you when you have stirred up a hornet's nest and nobody knows it was you. Well played. I don't repeat gossip. So listen carefully the first time. And good on you for fighting back when the idiots get on board and and just don't understand you. I mean, use your social media to to embarrass, to humiliate, to shut down anyone who disagrees with you. Oh, you will feel so empowered and vindicated when you land that slamming tweet. Gather the likes as you spread the hate. Happy and victorious you will be when you bite back and you get the last word. This is not the word of our Lord. Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 to 12 says, When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountain And after he had sat down, his disciples came to him and he began to teach them, saying, The poor in spirit are blessed, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Those who mourn are blessed, for they will be comforted. The gentle are blessed, for they will inherit the earth. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness are blessed, for they will be filled. The merciful are blessed, for they will be shown mercy. The pure in heart are blessed, for they will see God. The peacemakers are blessed, for they will be called sons of God.
those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, are blessed, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You are blessed when they insult and persecute you and and falsely say all kinds of evil things against you because of me. Be glad. Rejoice. Because your reward is great in heaven. For this is how they persecuted the prophets before you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be to God. Very simple question. Do you want to live a blessed life? Do you want to live a blessed life? Do you want to live a life not, not defined by happiness, but defined by being blessed by your God, finding favor with your God, enjoying that intimate, personal, deep relationship with your God? Is that what you want? Do you ever meet these people and just a few moments in their presence, you think, wow, I just want to be a bit more like them? You ever met those, those Christian men or Christian women? It's like when they open their mouth, they speak kindness, they speak truth, they are compassionate and they are gentle and they are patient. You think, wow. And their actions, there's no vindictiveness in them. They don't retaliate. They are always seeking to, to make peace. You think, I want to be a bit more like them. Uh, there's a guy in the UK, a guy called Christopher Ash, Brilliant Bible teacher. Extraordinary pastor, one of the most humble, gentle people you could ever meet. I want to be just a, just a, a bit more like him. That would be wonderful. See, in this Sermon on the Mount, Jesus tells you and me how we can have the blessed life. Again, not happy, but blessed, finding favor with your God, being looked on favorably by your God. He goes to the mountain, he begins to teach, he sits down, the posture of a rabbi, and he gives his disciples these beatitudes, they've been called the, the beautiful attitudes, or the, the be-attitudes, because they're all about our character, they're all about our attitudes, it's like Jesus shines a, a spotlight into our soul, and he exposes our hearts and our minds and our wills, and Jesus shows us how to live the blessed life. Now, before we dive in, let me make a few comments. These are essential attitudes, not exceptional attitudes. These are just what all Christians are called to be like, not just the super spiritual. These are supernatural. They're not natural attitudes. None of these things come naturally to us, do they? Being gentle or being merciful or being peacemakers, that's not natural. That's the mark of the Holy Spirit at work in us, isn't it? And these Beatitudes, they're not a select few. They're not a list where you can pick and choose. I'll I'll, I'll have that one, I'll have that one, but I don't particularly like that one. All Christians are are supposed to manifest all of these attitudes. We're all supposed to be poor in spirit and gentle and merciful and pure in heart and peacemakers and yet persecuted. So please don't take this as a tick list saying, I've got that one, I don't really need that one. But this is the big one. Doing these things will not make you a Christian. 
please don't think that these beatitudes are eight steps to being right with your God, eight steps to becoming a Christian. This is not Jesus' eight-step program for your salvation. This is not your entrance ticket to heaven. You're right with God. You're right with God by faith in Christ alone, by believing in the death of Jesus on the cross alone. But once you are right with God, once that you know that you're a child of God, these are ways that you can enjoy that relationship with your God. These are the ways that you can experience the blessing of God as your heavenly Father as you live this life as a child of God. The repeated word here is blessed. So who are the blessed ones? The poor in spirit are blessed, verse 3. When he says poor, he doesn't mean materially poor. He's not saying that it is blessed to be financially destitute. And when he says the poor in spirit, he he doesn't mean that it's, it's blessed to have less of the Holy Spirit. You can't have less of the Holy Spirit. When he says the poor in spirit are blessed, he says the person who who recognizes their spiritual poverty before their God, the person who recognizes their spiritual bankruptcy before their God, the person who comes to God and says, God, I can do nothing to earn my salvation. I can do nothing to to win your favor, God. I don't deserve to be right with you. I'm not good enough for you, God. That spiritual poverty before your Lord. It's that attitude of humbling yourself before God. Remember the, the parable that Jesus told of the, the Pharisee and the tax collector? The Pharisee walks into church and says, God, I'm so wonderful. You're so lucky to have me in church this morning, God, and I'm so much better than that person, that wretched man at the back over there. He's not blessed because he's not poor in spirit. He's arrogant. He's self-sufficient. But the tax collector who stands at the back of church and beats his best and says, and says God have mercy on me, a sinner, that, that, that person is blessed. The poor in spirit is the man or the woman who comes before their God singing, nothing in my hand I bring, simply to your cross I cling. And I know that we all start, all start out our Christian life being poor in spirit. If you're a Christian here this morning, remember that moment when you first came to faith and you're just so in love with Jesus and amazed that he loves you. But the reality is that the longer that you go on in your Christian life, the easier it is to slip into spiritual pride and to rest on your Bible knowledge or your disciplined prayer life or your church attendance. And you begin to think that you are somebody You're a spiritual giant. The Bible says the spiritual giants are the people who are poor in spirit. The spotlight is never on self, it's always on their savior. I love the the story of the distinguished high court judge, true story, in church one Sunday morning and kneeling at the communion rail. And kneeling beside him is a convicted criminal who's just been released from jail. These two men, the judge and the criminal, kneeling side by side the communion rail. After church, the, the judge said to the pastor, did you spot who was kneeling next to me this morning? And the pastor said, yeah, I, I did, but I didn't think you did. He said, oh, I did. And then the judge said, what a miracle of grace. And the pastor said, yeah, yeah, what a miracle of grace. 
And the judge said to the pastor, who are you talking about? Oh, the convict, he said. You know, it's a miracle of grace that, that God could love and save a, a, such a bad, wicked man as that man. And the judge turned to the pastor and said, no, no, I wasn't talking about the convict. I was talking about me. I am the walking miracle of God's grace that me born into a rich family, into a rich home, into a rich school and going to church and saying my prayers and going to kids' church and, and going to Oxford University and being admitted to the bar, that, that God in his mercy should see me and reach out to me and open my eyes. I'm a walking miracle of God's grace. Is that you this morning, a walking miracle of God's grace? Whoever you are, no matter what your background, you say, I'm poor in spirit. Everybody here is a walking miracle of God's grace. We never move on from that, do we? See, the world says, grow in your self-confidence, believe in yourself, promote yourself, rely on yourself. You're a somebody. And God says, no, no, you're a nobody loved by God, cherished by God, and saved by your Savior. The poor in spirit are blessed, says Jesus, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. The kingdom of heaven is ours. We get to enjoy the kingdom of heaven, yes, here on earth, not just in eternity, but today, that relationship with your God today. Please never outgrow that first beatitude. The poor in spirit are blessed, and those who mourn are blessed. Now, the world thinks this is ridiculous. The world says, be happy, have fun, laugh lots, forget your troubles. Mourning is awkward, mourning is embarrassing. But Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn. Now, he's not talking about mourning or grieving the loss of a loved one. It's right to do that. But these first few Beatitudes are about your relationship with God. He says, blessed are those who mourn before your God who mourn their sin before their God, that word mourn is a very strong word, who deeply grieve their rebellion against their God. Blessed are those who are sorrowful and saddened at their vileness and their wickedness and their sin. And blessed are those who are deeply concerned by all the evil and injustice and sin in this world. Remember Isaiah? As a vision of his holy God, he says, Woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips. Or the Apostle Paul, who said, What a wretched man I am. It's this attitude that you are blessed when you have a right attitude to yourself. You know when people say to you, oh, You're such a good person. And you say, If only you knew me. If you could only see my envy and my jealousy... If you saw my cynicism and my greed or my lack of integrity, if you saw my pride and my lust, and I know me, and I cry out to God, what a wretched man I am. Why do I so fall so short of God's glory? That's what it means to mourn your sin, to be on your knees weeping at your sin. And I reckon the church has lost that. The confession from the Book of Common Prayer, 1662, says, we acknowledge and bewail our manifold sins and wickedness. We bewail our manifold sins and wickedness, which we which we've, from time to time most grievously have committed. And we say confession in church today, and we're kind of like a, oh, sorry, God, I've stuffed up again. 
a missionary wrote 200 years ago. In my morning devotions, my soul was exceedingly melted and I bitterly mourned over my exceeding sinfulness and my vileness. When was the last time you used that word before your God? My vileness. You've got a right view of God as being holy and pure and majestic. Then you do see yourself differently, don't you? You mourn your sin. You mourn the sin of our world. You're shocked by the injustice in our world. Someone said the greatest security against sin is being shocked by it. Please don't lose the shock value. As the world moves further and further and further away from God's truth, we're called to be shocked by it. Just wonder whether you've got a, a defective doctrine of sin. We, we preach grace, we understand grace, but without sin, grace makes no sense at all. And Jesus says, those who are blessed are those who mourn their sin. Why? Verse, six, verse 4. For they will be comforted. It's a beautiful word, that, isn't it? Comfort is the same word used of the Holy Spirit, the, the comforter. But this comfort is not just a future comfort, not just a future comfort of, of heaven where there is no sin and there's no pain and there's no crying and there's no mourning. That is true, but it's more than that. We are blessed now because we're comforted now. As we confess our sin and mourn our sin and we cry out, what a, ble- what a wretched person I am, we say, thanks be to God who gives us the victory and we see Jesus and we think, I'm washed and I'm cleansed and I'm, I'm whiter than snow. That is the comfort of vile and full of sin am I. But Jesus is full of grace and truth. So I'm free and I'm forgiven. That's the comfort now. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the gentle, verse 5. That word gentle is a beautiful word. Not weak. Not indecisive, not timid, not wet. Being gentle means that you are meek, that you are humble, that you are considerate. Uh, Moses was described as a, a, as a gentle man, Numbers 12. A very gentle man, more gentle than anyone else on the face of the earth. He could have been the, the prince of Egypt. He chose to, to give it all to serve his God. One of my favorite verses is Matthew chapter 11, where Jesus says, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle, says Jesus. I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. That's the attitude of the the blessed life, that gentleness. And I reckon you spot the gentle person by the way that they relate to other people. No bragging, no arrogance. They don't know it all. Their ego isn't so big. Not the center of everything. But they're humble. And they're kind. They're meek and considerate. And according to Jesus, the gentle will inherit the earth. It's a quote from Psalm 37, verse 11. The meek will inherit the land and enjoy great peace. Now, of course, we know we're going to inherit eternity. We're going to inherit the heavens and earth at the end of time. But it's more than that. These are blessings for today. That you will inherit the earth today. 
that you'll live here in God's world as God's child, in God's way, and you'll experience his peace. You experience life as it's supposed to be experienced. Let's move more quickly. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. I love the way that Jesus goes to our senses and talks about the things that we long for, the things that we desire, the things that, that we actually desperately need or think that we want in this life. Let me ask you, those who know you best, if you're married, your spouse, or your best friend, or your family, if you said to them, what do I want most in this life? What do I hunger for or thirst for most? What would they say? Ask them this afternoon. Happiness, money, popularity, health, acceptance, maybe some spirit experience. So you go from church to church looking for that super spirit experience. Jesus says the blessed person are those who hunger and thirst for, for righteousness. Do you see that, verse 6? And when Jesus uses that word righteous, He's not using it the same way that Paul uses it. So Paul talks about righteousness being right with God. He's not saying that you hunger for uh, your acceptance by God. He's talking about how you want to be more and more and more like your God. That you long to see God more and to to understand his character more and to to live a life that glorifies and honors and adores your God. It's that prayer, Lord, make me as holy as a pardoned sinner can be. I hunger, I thirst to be more like my God. And it's very sensual. You know, that feeling at sort of 4.30 in the afternoon and your tummy's rumbling and you think, I just need some food. Or the kids come home and say, I'm starving. Or when you're, you're desperately thirsty, you're in a hot day and you turn on the tap and the, the water touches your tongue and there's that refreshment that just goes through your whole soul. That's what Jesus is talking about. Psalm 42, as the deer pants for the water, my soul thirsts for you, God. Psalm 63, God, I seek you, my soul thirsts for you, my body longs for you. Lord, I'm desperate for you. I'm desperate, Lord, to be holy in my words and holy in my heart and holy in my actions. I I long to be selfless and kind, just like you, God. I want to be like you, God. Now, nutritionists will tell you, you are what you eat. You are what you eat. And they're right. If we feed our souls and feed our minds with filth and violence and porn and materialism, then that will define you. But if you hunger and thirst for righteousness, for the word of God, then lo and behold, you'll be more and more like your God. It always amuses me that people spend years doing a PhD on spiritual maturity. They do all this research, what helps a Christian to grow, and they write up their thesis, and their conclusion is, you read your Bible and you pray. It's really not rocket science. Spurgeon said this, Oh, that you and I might get into the very heart of the Word of God and get that Word into ourselves. 
as I've seen the silkworm eat into the leaf and consume it, so ought we to do with the word of the Lord. Not crawl over the surface, but eat right into it until we've taken it into into our inmost parts. Is idle merely to let the eye glance over the words or to recollect the poetical expressions or the historical facts, but it's blessed to eat into the very soul of the Bible until at last you come to talk in scriptural language and your very style is fashioned upon scriptural models and what is better still, your spirit is flavored with the words of the Lord. And the promise here is that you will be filled, verse 6, filled with the Spirit, yes, but more than that, satisfied with Jesus, totally content with being a child of God, filled with the knowledge of God's will, filled with the mysteries that are unknown without the work of the Spirit, and filled with that satisfaction of walking with your Father is the most blessed way to live. But I reckon verse 6 should come with a warning. The warning is the more you hunger for righteousness, the more you'll be satisfied in Jesus. But the more you're satisfied in Jesus, the more you want more and more and more of it. It is like those biscuits at work at 4.30. You just think, I'll just take one. And then more, and then more, and then more. Blessed are the merciful, he says, verse 7. Be careful how you read this. He's not saying, if you're merciful to other people, then God will be merciful to me. That is not, that's works, it's not grace. What Jesus is saying in verse 7 is that if you are totally aware that God has been merciful to you, God has not punished you as your sins deserve. If you're aware of that, and you are totally aware that others are constantly merciful to you day by day, your, your family, your friends, your church, they don't treat you the way that you deserve If you've experienced God's mercy and the mercy of others, then we're called to show mercy, to display mercy. The blessed life is when you see someone in need, even when that person has wronged you, you are compassionate and you are gracious and you're kind. To show mercy is that you don't just shut your ears to the marginalized or the the refugees or the poor or the needy, you don't refuse forgiveness to other people. Remember the parable that Jesus told of the good Samaritan and the man who's absolutely destitute and two religious people walk by and they see him, they see the need, they might even have felt sorry for him but they did not show mercy. It was the Samaritan who was praised for showing mercy because being merciful requires action. It's not just Feelings. You can feel sorry for somebody, but being merciful means you actually do something about it. And the promise there, verse 7, is that they will be shown mercy. They will experience more and more of God's mercy and God's grace in their life. The pure in the heart are blessed, he says in verse 8. Remember, the heart is a sense of, center of your personality. It's your Mind, your emotions, your wills. So being a Christian is not just a matter of intellectual, doctrinal truth. Being a Christian is having a, a new heart, a clean heart. We've got that, haven't we? The moment you turn to Christ, you're given a new heart. So having a pure heart, longing for this pure heart is a heart which is undivided. That's the word there, undivided. 
It's not one foot in the world and one foot in the church. It's having a heart that is totally devoted to your God. You want to serve him and him alone. So you get rid of the filth. You get rid of all the things that stop you from believing and stop you from putting your faith in God. And you actively put on your compassion, your kindness, and you have a clean, pure heart. Someone said there's three things that will stop you from being pure in heart. Your temptation to shine, your temptation to whine, and your temptation to recline. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. I remember that these blessings, they're now, not just future. Jesus is promising us that we will see God. Yes, on the last day, we'll see him face to face, but the promise is for today. Somehow you, you will see God, you'll see his glory in intangible ways, and you'll experience his goodness, and you'll see his grace at work in your life, and you'll see the beautiful life that you're called to live. You'll have a depth of intimacy with your God. It's like Job at the end of the book of Job when he'd gone through all his trials. He says, now I see God. The peacemakers are blessed, verse 9. He's not talking about gospel peacemakers, but we are called to preach the gospel of peace. Of course we are. And as we talk about Jesus and the gospel that, uh, that peace brings, then we are blessed. Of course we are. But he's talking here about peacemakers. He's saying if you've been gripped by God's grace, if you've experienced God's peace, then you will make peace with other people. It is blessed when you don't hold on to your hurts. It is blessed when you don't hold on to your grudges. You are blessed when you don't retaliate. You are blessed when you're not quarrelsome. You are blessed when you don't cause the conflict by your strong opinions or your defensive demeanor. You are blessed when you don't gossip. You stay calm and you're courteous and you're kind. There's a moment in the prayer book, we said it this morning actually at 8 a.m., where the minister says, peace be with you. And the people say, and also with you. And then we say, let's offer one another a sign of that peace. That's a profound moment. Where you go to somebody who you've had a disagreement with, who you've been fighting with, and before you take bread and wine together, you say, peace be with you. You're really saying, I forgive you. And let me assure you that you really are blessed if you do that. The promise is in verse 9, they will be called sons of God. Now that's interesting, isn't it? We're already children of God. Of course we are. We are children of God by faith. If you're here this morning and you believe in Jesus, you're, you're a son of God, you're a daughter of God. That's not what he's saying here. You will be called sons of God. And he's using the word there as, as, as the heir, the firstborn. You'll enjoy all that blessing. of It's like you're the firstborn of God. And then lastly, it says, blessed are those who are persecuted. Not persecuted because of our arrogance or being objectionable or being difficult. We're persecuted for our righteousness. We're persecuted because we want to live a different life. We want to honor God. And I have to say, perhaps more than any time in my life, 
Christians are beginning to experience that, aren't we? When we seek to honor the Word of God in a world that moves further and further away from God, when we seek to speak up humbly and gently and kindly for biblical truths, we are facing persecution, ridicule, slander, being ostracized, marginalized. Look at the promise. You're blessed, verse 11. You find favor with God when they insult and persecute you, not because of our arrogance and not because of our pride, but because of our God. When we stand up for our God, we're blessed to be persecuted. I want to say, friends, that you can pursue a happy life. Go on, just do it. Pursue a happy life. Get out there in the world. Do what the world says. Look after yourself. Promote yourself. Seek your happiness and satisfaction in the things of this world, but you won't be blessed. And that happiness is just temporary. But that objective state of being looked on in favor by your God, it means that you're called to be poor in spirit, mourn your sin, be gentle and meek, hunger and thirst for righteousness, show mercy, have a clean, undivided heart, make peace with each other, and be willing to be persecuted. Let me ask you again, do you want to live a blessed life? Is that what you really want? Who do you look to? Who is it you say, I just want to be a bit more like him? And the answer is the man who preached this sermon. Jesus was poor in spirit. Jesus mourned and was gentle. He hungered for more of his God. He showed mercy, he was pure in heart. He was a peacemaker and he himself was persecuted. Walk closely with your Savior. Follow his example. And you'll be blessed. Let me pray. Dear Lord, please open my heart to these Beatitudes. Shine your ray into the deepest part of my life. Sear my soul. Build my character. Show me Jesus. And help me to live this blessed life. In Jesus' name.